Hey, listeners, ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The best part of spring cleaning is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless and then Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data, unlimited talk and text, delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone and any Mint Mobile plan and bring your own phone number. Along with your existing contacts, ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. My team here, they're on Mint Mobile, and they like it. For a fraction of the cost, Mint Mobile proved to have excellent coverage with no-drop calls or unsent texts. Plus, they make it super easy for me to activate my device just by following a few simple steps online. And bam, done. To get this new customer offer and the new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash literally. That's mintmobile.com slash literally. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash literally. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speeds slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. It's Dr. Smith from Lost in Space. Oh, that's right, yeah. Oh, you blithering bucket of boots. Oh, William Earth. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome to literally um, a particularly good one today. The multi-talented Seth MacFarlane. Uh, I can't. How many times has he made you laugh? If you're anything like me, it's a lot. With Family Guy. Oh, that was my Stewie, by the way, in case you didn't know. Ted. Amazing. The Orville, um, of which I have done a fun little part on. Um, and, and his amazing career as, a, as the modern day you know, American canon, traditional crooner. Um, he's the busiest man in show business and one of the nicest and one of the funniest. This is a, a particularly good one. If this one doesn't bring a smile to your face, I give up the podcast business. You always have great hair, but you're, yet you're wearing a hat. I know it's a podcast. I know that the listeners don't know, and I'm always very envious of your, your hedgehog-like virility on top of your skull look who's talking <laughs> how are you man miss you i'm good i'm good i'm amazed that you have time to to do a podcast with with everything you got going on it's, it's, it just brings you joy does it? it it does it's super super fun and it's like when i get to talk to folks like you who i know and love it, it's just it, 
I, I just know that we're going to be talking about stuff that no one else is ever going to ask you to talk to you about. And then, um, and then I get to fanboy around people, particularly in music. I've had, you know, when I had, I had like Lindsey Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac on and oh, yeah. just went, you know, or cause I'm like a huge yacht rock. You and I are very well suited because our musical taste would relegate us to the nerd corner of the American high school quad. I think, am I, I think it's safe to say, right? Very, very much. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Yacht Rock because I, I, they, they tweet me often because of a family guy episode that we did about, or that, or that the, the folks now running the show did about Yacht Rock. Of course, I haven't, I haven't written on the show in about 10 years. Right. At least. And everyone yet still assumes that every word that comes out of those characters' mouths was written by me. <laughs> I had, of course they did. I, don't, I had no idea what Yacht Rock was so i get these tweets and i'm like they're like thanks man this is yeah, we're, we're, we're psyched you're a fan and what was the bit uh i it was a whole episode about yacht rock oh i have to go back and look yeah i'm a, I'm a yacht rock and you're, and you're a musical theater i mean i think it's fair enough i mean i know it's, i know it's more american standards yeah it's 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 sort of a broad uh you know definition of, of, of various kinds of jazz slash orchestral music um you know, it's it's more. Than, are you scatting now? Right now? Are you gonna, not now, but are you going to be out there? But it, it's about well, you know, I, I always found scatting to be a little ridiculous, to be honest. Thank you. I I, I never quite understood. You know, it's, it's I, I guess in serious jazz circles, it's it's considered a, a legitimate uh, uh, endeavor. Style. I, I never got it. it. It always just eluded me. Well, you mentioned jazz like singing, and I was like, what what is jazz singing? And then I think it's scatting. Right. It's interesting. I'm going to sound I'm going to sound like I'm dating myself. The thing that separates jazz singing to me in general is that, you know, if you listen to um, if you listen to uh, Sinatra or Peggy Lee or Dean Martin or Rosemary Clooney or Sammy Davis Jr., they sing the way they talk. There's a there's a genuineness to their cadences and to their they're not putting on, you know, that, that sort of fake dialect that we all do. And whenever we sing a rock song or like, a, yeah, and it differs with every every generation and every decade. I mean, like everybody sounded like Eddie Vedder in the nineties, everybody yep. sounded like David Bowie in the eighties and you know, this kind of the style, but when you listen to those, those vocalists, they're kind of outside that they, 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 they speak and they sing and both, uh, both forms of communication are the same. They're not, they're not putting on any airs. There's an honesty to it. Yeah. Um, I, Got to see Sinatra sing once, and um, it was towards the end, but he was still, you know, it was, it was more presence. He was really leaning on the spoken phrasing. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it wasn't so much, but, um, and then later he smacked me, so that was really good. Is that like, right? When you have a Sinatra experience that ends with him smacking you, what, you, what was, you've, had, what, the, you've what, had the full Monty. From, what were from, the circumstances that led up to, to him, uh, or did you, did you? Make a joke about his wife's hair? Uh, well, I think he might have been. I think his blood pressure might have been up because it was the it was the weekend. The famous Ki- are you familiar with Kitty Kelly, who is the famous? Yeah. It yes. was the weekend that the Kitty Kelly book on Sinatra came out, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's a long was, time ago. This is yeah. This is this is eighty seven. I want to say, and um, and after after this big black tie event. Where he sang, um, I was introduced to him, and I was like, "Mr. Sinatra, it's a, an honor to meet you." 
and he grabbed me by the face, like super hard, like with one hand, like give me like, like on my cheeks, like he would a baby, like, oh, that baby, oh, that baby, like got me there. And then with the other hand, pop, pop, pop with his hand. And he says, my grandkids love you. Oh yeah, so it so it was like a like a loving Italian slap. It was a loving Italian slap. But it, it, oh, look at this guy! Look at it on that papa de me. You're actually really hurt, but you don't want to let on. Yeah, it was. I mean, he, he definitely. You know, it was great because he he giveth and he taketh away in the same breath. It was like, yeah. you know, it was like ow, but it was it was amazing. It was super yeah. fun. That's a good memory, right? <laughs> what is your favorite musical? Um, my favorite, well, you know, I, I have different categories. My, my favorite. Oh, this is good. See, I knew, I knew we would nerd out deep dive on this shit. And like, <laughs> listen, if you just want to hear me ask him to do the fucking voices, you can just turn it off right now. Cause we're going deep in the American canon. This is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Best, probably, probably the, 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 the best, um, musical score ever written for, for a musical to me is probably, uh, it's probably Carousel, mm. um, mm-hmm. uh, for, for a musical, the best filmed musical probably the sound of music yes oh god and probably the best overall a- achievement in in musical theater like how i i can't believe they pulled this off structurally top to bottom music lyrics libretto everything is, is probably my fair lady because mm-hmm. because george bernard shaw is is, is you know oscar uh, rogers and hammerstein struggled to turn pygmalion into a musical and and it was just so hard because it was so intellectual as opposed to emotional yeah and Henry Lowe found a way in. Um, there's 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 a story I read in his biography, in Alan J. Lerner's biography, where he was he was struggling to write that final number where Henry Higgins comes back, and Henry Higgins, no no emotion in this guy that is shown anywhere, and he says, "I have to write a love song that is not a love song." And at that moment, his wife came down the stairs, and he said, "You know, dear, you're you're actually." you're actually really quite attractive. <laughs> and she, she said, oh, th- thanks so much. <laughs> As they do. And he said, I, what I mean is I've grown accustomed to you. I've grown accustomed to your face. Mm-hmm. And that's supposedly how that song came to be. So that's, that's, a, that's an interesting, it's a really amazing achievement in, in theater because it's, you know, so much of musical theater is so flowery and emotional and, and wears its heart on its sleeve. And that, that show can't because it derives from Shaw. So... Uh, they had to find a, a a cynical way in, and and it's uh, it's pretty amazing achievement. Amazing accomplishments like Hamilton, notwithstanding. What's your take on the state of like? Are, are you a big fan that when you go to Broadway and you want to see a a musical, it's going to be a version of a movie that you've seen a hundred times already? Yeah, I, I have not seen a Broadway show in a long time. Well, that's just what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I. I mean, to me, it's, you want my honest opinion? To yes. Me, in, in some forms of media, most notably film, uh, well, you know, to some degree film, certainly television. Let's look at television. You take television. Television, I think everyone would agree, is better than it's ever been. Now, television is, is these, these shows that we remember fondly as great shows. You go back and watch them now, and it's, it's, it's a tough thing. It's tough to defend beyond like, hey, this is just this is just comfort food. Um, but television has just gone up and up and up and up and up and has just gotten better and better and better and better um, as as time has gone along. And I think the opposite has happened with music. I think it's just it's been this weird inverse thing where it's it's they spend less and less and less money 
you know, on, on the product itself. Again, not to sound like I'm like 50 years older than I am, but you know, I hear old recordings. I'm like, wow, they were, they had like a 50 piece orchestra for this thing instead of two guitarists, a drummer, a bass, you know, and a, and a keyboardist. And, yep. and that was every, they, you know, Capitol and Columbia, they were, they were doing that with everybody and they, they were spending the money on the recordings. Um, and not, ne- not necessarily on the, the touring and the marketing and all that and all the stuff that they have to do now. But it, it, it was, it was just an era of high musicality. And, and I think to me, to my ear, that's, that's deteriorated. It's tough for me to find a lot out there now that, that, that challenges my ear and in, in the way that that older, mu- that older music does and, and the way, you know, the, the complexity and the richness and the variation of sound, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, but television, on the other hand, strangely, the opposite. It's just never been better. Which brings us to Orville. First of all, how is my character Terulio? Where is he in the world right now? What is he doing? He's still alive. He's, he's doing his own thing. Probably off spreading his pheromones around, whipping people into a frenzy. So I was, uh, I got a script one day uh, for the Orville, and this is the pilot. It's the Orville pilot or episode one. So I don't know anything about it other than it's my, my man, Seth, who I always love helping being around doing anything. I'm always, I'm, as Lauren Michael says, he, um, he's a friend of the shows. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I read the part to Rulio and, and the screen direction basically has the character ejaculating out of his forehead. And I was like, oh, I'm in. Like, I did not need to read anything more than a blue alien who ejaculates out of his forehead. I mean, my entire career was leading me to that moment and I'm very proud of it. It was super fun. And you, you directed me, which is always great. Yeah, look, man, when Daniel Day-Lewis said no, who's the next call? My career is predicated on being second in line to the cobbler, as I like to call him. <laughs> so the, the, the new trailer was released today. What is today? Today's the... We don't know what today will be, okay. actually. Okay. So let's say this. So the new trailer, people love... How about this? People love the new trailer. Mm-hmm. There you go. It's just taking the world by storm. It is. It's up there with the new Top Gun trailers, which I'm I'm obsessed with at Tom Cruise and trying to get him on the show. And 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 every six months they dole out a new Top Gun trailer. That's kind of your because you and Tom, you'd be a good Tom Cruise, by the way. Have you played him ever on Family on, on Family Guy? I have not. I have not. I, I it's funny. I've, I've met him. Um, I've met him when I was doing the Graham Norton show in London. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Family Guy has just has made fun of him for years. You've never met a better sport. And it just the nicest guy, yeah. you know, just quote, good fun, all good fun, end quote. Like just, just, a, just a true sport. Like I, I was, I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm already a fan of his movies, but I, I was, I was just, I was delighted at how cool he was about everything. He's just, just a good guy. Do you re- recall the circumstances with, that led to me cold calling you? That's a, well, this, this is go, this goes way back. It's right? a way deep, I can tell you, cause it's this. I, like all people, love Family Guy, and particularly in the years when it really was, I mean, you were writing it, producing it, doing the voice. I mean, you did, were doing it all. Right. I still gave a shit, I guess is what yeah, you cared. It was before you got so rich that you stopped caring about anything with your name on it. Before I retreated to my Tucker Carlson-esque reclusive lifestyle. and That's right. And, <laughs> uh, and um Anyway, I, my kids and I love the show so much, and I, I'll never forget. I was in London doing Few Good Men on stage, and uh, 
an episode came on and Stewie, I believe, had gone to Hollywood. Anyway, Stewie was getting his makeup done, makeup and hair done. And the scene opened with um, Stewie going, please, please, just, just, just one more. And the makeup artist goes, all right. And so he goes, Rob Lou. And, and he goes, straight. And so he goes, no, I never would have thought so. It made me laugh so fucking hard. And I was like, I got to call these guys. And that's how, that's, that's sort of how we met. That's a, that's a, that's a damn fine Stewie. It wasn't bad, was it? Yeah, no, no, that's, that's, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for a way out, Rob. Listen, you get, it's yours. Take it, take over, do it. Go on. Oh, maybe I will. Uh, Passing the torch. Oh, now that I know it's a little higher like that. That's a little like the, the, the old, I don't know who did that voice in the 50s and 60s, the old timing. But a little weird. Oh, oh no! What, what's all, what's you know what it also? Oh, Mister Flintstone. It's Doctor Smith from Lost in Space. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, you blithering bucket of boots. Oh, William Earth. <laughs> <laughs> that was an that was an amazing show. When you think about you, like you, I look back with fond memories of that, and then you realize. Well, wasn't it originally supposed to be about the, who was it? Don West and who was the other guy? It was supposed to be their show. And then, it, and then it became Dr. Smith, the kid, and the robot. That's a that's an ego breaker. Have you ever seen um like the Sid and Marty Croft show? Oh, dude. We okay. Well, we'll get there in a minute now that you've opened up that wormhole. Um, have you ever seen the screen test? For Austin Space? No. Yes. Who's who's screen test? Dr. Smith's screen test? No, that would be amazing, obviously. No, it's um it's the handsome guy. Okay, guys, team, who's the handsome lead in Lost in Space? Um not, Don West is the young buck. Guy Williams. Guy Williams. That's who it is. Yeah. It's Guy Williams. Screen. It's the absolute best thing you've ever seen in your life. Because he's he's lit in that 40s movie star light. And he's just, he's literally just turning his face around and being so handsome. It's that, that's, the, that's the audition. It's just him being handsome. R- really, it is. How many auditions have you done where that was, that was what got you the gig? Well, there is that. And then they ask him to wear, I love that they're in velour in that show. They're like jammies. <laughs> I know. Did you ever think of any of that when you were doing um, Orville? Was there any nods to Lost in Space? Because there should have been. Velour and, and spandex just never entered the equation. It was like, look, if I, particularly if I'm directing as well as, as, well as performing, I, I'm, I, I'm, you know, it's, it was bad enough on Ted. I'm walking around in, in you know, looking like a Borg all day with all these wires and electronics and things that were attached to my clothes so they could record the bear, the, the movement data for the bear. But yeah, I, I kind of drew the line at like tight spacesuits. I'm going to be in it all day. Let's make it comfortable. Why is it in space that, that everybody wore tight thing? What was there a reason that in space things are tight? Well, interesting question, Rob. I think, um, there, there is a reason. Well, there's a reason that, that, that it all looks the way it does in Hollywood. There, there are things that you can predict and have people take seriously in the science fiction genre, like technology, like spaceship design, like alien cultures. You know, there are things that you can create a narrative around, something that doesn't exist, and you can hypothesize that this is how it could be, and, and, it's, and it's believable. For some reason, clothing design and music are damn near impossible. If you ever, like any, I mean, that's why if you watch... Um, a lot of, uh, you know, the old Star Trek, a lot of the music they listen to, it's like, oh, it's Mozart, 
it's jazz. It's stuff that they figure, well, this is going to be timeless. So this mm-hmm. is probably safe because when you listen to quote unquote future music, it always sounds absurd. Yeah. It's ridiculous because it, you can't, it's strangely, it's, it's so much harder to predict what's going to happen to a culture artistically than it is to predict what's going to happen to a culture technologically. I don't know why that is. That's a question for a philosopher or somebody smarter than me. And the same thing goes for casual wear. So a future military uniform is, you know, a, a pretty easy thing to guess at. Um, but a future, like what, what are everyday people going to be wearing in the future? That was like the biggest challenge. Uh, I certainly, when we were doing the Orville, what in the, and it always wound up with turtlenecks. That's amazing. Turtlenecks with stripes. That's what everyone wears in the future. God help us all. When you were building the world, did you get into the world of alien civilizations and the, you know, the Anunnaki's and the Palladians and all of that? You know, I, I, I love reading about all of that. They're from Orion's belt. Some of them are from Sirius. Yeah. Some of them are interdimensional and don't have to have a spaceship, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. That's that's it's it's the most fun job for me. I had more fun with it than I ever did on you know doing comedy. Really? It's the most fun I've ever had as a writer. Um, I, I loved it. And um, designing the sets was well, I remember on the sets that we that I was on the bridge, the bridge was nuts. I mean, and I feel like the bridge um, is it's because it's it's true you would think in the future there's no like levers or gizmos you do with your fucking mind and it's screens if that right yeah yeah well it's it's and it's also the the conceit that if you're traveling long distances on a spaceship in the future it's it probably can't look like a submarine it can't be this dark dingy oily you know hard sci-fi looking thing because you'd go crazy you'd start to kill each other for it to last long, long periods of time in that kind of environment, it's got to be comfortable. It's got to feel like you're in, you know, the four seasons in Manhattan or, you know, on the set of Dynasty. And, and that was kind of, that was kind of the thinking. Our production designer looked at um, luxury yacht design when he was designing that bridge. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny you say that. That's so funny because I got to visit a very fancy yacht this summer with these state-of-the-art stuff. And I thought, oh, it's the Orville. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's kind of where the, the aesthetic conceit came from. It just, it just seemed like what's an isolated mobile environment that you can stay in for long periods of time and not go crate, not go stir crazy. And you know, a yacht is, if, if not at the top of that list, it's pretty close. Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day? Or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky. Same day. Or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment. There's only one answer. California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. Look, I love California. Um, And I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. You know the only thing I ever let interrupt my podcast? My dog. Take a minute now, please. Pet your dog. 
while you learn about Bark, the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Every toy is tailored to your pup's size and play style. From squeaky plush toys from BarkBox to ultra-tough, durable ones from Super Chewer. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Each box is inspired by a new theme and comes with fun surprises for you and your dog. For a limited time, they'll double your first box of goodies for free. I love making my dogs happy. Love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. And my dogs are obsessed with their chewable toys. BarkBox offers treats, keep my dogs healthy, and amazing new toys that keep my dogs entertained. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by questionable products in the shaving industry and decided they had something better to offer. So instead of charging the same old ridiculous prices, Harry's found a way to make their beautifully designed razors, and they are beautiful, for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. Exceptional products, honest prices. That's Harry's. They have the highest customer satisfaction in shaving history and a no-risk trial. Don't like your shave? No worries. It's on them. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. And Harry's also has other self-care products that meet the same quality standards as their razors. Richly lathering, skin-softening body wash and scents like Redwood, Wildland, and Stone. And an extra high-quality, amazing-smelling deodorant for just five bucks. I love their stuff. I'm so impressed by Harry's products. All of it. It's all good. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash Rob. That's harrys.com slash Rob for a $3 trial set. The next show that you create, could you? Since you, that's a genre that is, exists, there's Star Trek, there's Star Wars, there's all that stuff. Could you go into the genre of kids' Saturday morning musicals a la Sid and Marty Croft? Can, can I get a Sigmund and the Sea Monsters out of you? Can I get a Lidsville and H.R. Puffin stuff? Is there any? You think, you think there's still a market for that? Because that's it's funny. I, we, we've talked about that in our production offices, that, that, that you know, a Saturday morning block of some kind. And in, in, in our case, it was cartoons, mm, mm-hmm. you know, Saturday morning block on a network. You know, is that still, cause that was such a big deal. Oh, such a big deal. I just, was, but then look, we had to wake up to something and yeah. now those kids wake up to 7,000 different things. And I just think that pro, I mean, like probably. Oh, it was an event. Event. It was an event. If you weren't, if you didn't have your cereal in front of you for the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show, you were slacking. If you didn't, if you didn't have your Gremlins cereal while you were watching Rubik the Amazing Cube, yeah, were you a big fan of um, Sid and Marty Croft live action? Sid and Marty Croft was was slightly before, like I was a little too late 
for that. Driving on this planet. Because you're young. You're you're significantly younger than I am. That was right in my wheelhouse. That's yeah. I mean, I subsequently have have gotten a full education. You know, Lidsville. Do you remember Lidsville? Do I remember? Yeah. The one about the hats. Everybody there wears a hat. Everybody (laughs) knows where it's at in the land of hats. That's Lidsville. Liddy, Liddy, Liddyville, not to be confused with Grittyville, the land of living cats. That's Lidsville. Thank you. Wow. Wow. That's, I remember a different theme, but that's, that's, uh. Well, that's the, en- that's the end theme. Oh, that's the end theme. At the end oh. title. Would you like the opening? Yeah. Yes, very much so. Uh, that's harder. I don't know that one. Because it's very, it's full of, um, my, my aversion to, uh, exposition, uh, yeah. carries over into my ability to remember main titles. And it's all exhibitions. He went to the park that day, and as he yeah. got, then he fell into the hat. He began to fall and fall and fall and fall and right. People are going to get so high to this podcast because if you get a chance to go there, you'll be glad you did. Because everybody that goes to little really there's that voice again. Charles Nelson Riley. Um, by the way, Lidsville. We understand that reference, right? I mean, is there something more than hats? Uh, yes, sir. Not the brightest guy, Rob. Um, well, you also didn't know the Beatles reference in Orville that I explained to you. Ah, uh, helped Admiral Halsey. I didn't know that. I did not know that. I'm not. I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge Beatle head. I. 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 I, I enjoy the Beatles. I, I'm not like a. You know, one of my writing partners uh, who co-wrote Ted with me is a big, big Beatle head, and and we have the same sort of conflict. I. I. Uh, I, I appreciate them. I like them. I, 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 I'm not, uh, yeah. Admiral Halsey escaped me. I didn't, I didn't know what it was. Admiral Hall, and I think I had to say it. Yeah. And I was like, Admiral Halsey, Sister Susan, Uncle John, Martin Luther, Phil and Don. Are we letting yeah. them all in? Is Admiral Halsey coming up to the third deck too? I like the Billy Joel song, I guess. It is very similar. Um, so Lidsville. Yep. A lid was a certain amount of drugs. I'm going to buy a lid. Give me a lid. Eh, do you, how much you want? Yeah, like a lid, maybe. Wow. That seems like an inescapable parallel. How about this? Do you know what HR puffin stuff is? Um, HR McMaster. That probably wouldn't be a. Um, happy, relaxing, puffing stuff. I'm seeing a pattern here starting yeah. to form. Isn't yeah. it interesting? The pattern that we're starting to see here. Happy, relaxing, puffing stuff. I wonder what that is. Has anyone ever asked Sid and or Marty about in uh, in in interviews about about these this, this these parallels and well I asked him in person um and he confirmed it was happy relaxing puffing stuff um right. and I think and I don't want to I don't want to get out over my skis on this but I believe he, uh, there was a story where he would just confirm that you know that time what people were doing in the writers room I don't want to get out over my skis that was a good one, right? As I was, is that yours or is that like a general? I just arrived on this planet, so I don't fucking know. I, I, um, as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, I've never said this phrase before. People, <laughs> people say it all the time. It's so funny that you busted me. It's so funny that you busted I, me on I've it. Never, maybe I'm hanging out with a, with a less classy crowd. I've never heard the, the phrase, I'm getting out over my skis. It's always high finance people that say it. In my, in my, in my experience, he, he was, he was a little heavy in the, uh, commodities, got a little over his skis and, uh, and that was that. So that's kind of the over his skis. Now out here, they're too busy talking about unpacking things. And oh yeah. There's a lot to unpack in, in, I, we, we, we got, 
I, I heard that phrase like maybe seven years ago, maybe six, six, seven years ago for the first time. I'd never heard it before. And then suddenly everybody was using it in every conversation that I was having. Why did, how does that happen? I think just because people are, people suck. People do suck. They're just a bunch of parrots. And then the, the notes that you get, the phraseology then, then cycles and it's gone. Like, I don't hear anymore. I'm just worried about protecting the character. Yeah, that, well, I guess it depends on the show and on the executive. Um, yeah, flawed characters. I've, I've worked with executives um, and known people who've, who've worked with executives who really have this problem where I think any, any kind of a flawed character is, is a, get, makes them squeamish. Um, <clears throat> there was a show I produced called The Winner for Fox that was uh, written by Ricky Blitt, um, who was a hysterically funny writer. And um, th- it was basically about a guy who was 40 years old, still living with his parents. Amazing. And there was such reservation, I think, among the network about, you know, this guy is such a loser. No, is, is anybody going to go for that? As if like, we're all a bunch of winners in America. Every one of us. Yeah. We're just, we're all a bunch of winners. Who can, who's going to be able to relate to this? Yes, sir. It's right. Yeah, exactly. And so he put a line in the script that said, Glenn is a winner. He just doesn't know it yet. Um, in the stage directions. And that was what was the turning point. And, and it's, it's uh, so yeah, I, I've, I've. That's uh, an amazing story, by the way. I believe that with every fiber in my being that, that, that. Oh, well, then we have no further notes. Problem solved. A little distressing. You got out of your skis on that one. Are all your podcasts like this, Rob? Yes. (laughs) If you were, and you were a great Oscar host, by the way. Rob, I, um, by the time I walked out onto that stage, I had already had about three and a half glasses of straight scotch. There was no way I was going and going out and doing that sober. There was just no way. Come on. Where to God, I had to dance all this stuff. They're like, uh, uh-uh, no way I'll, I'll have an anxiety attack. I can't do this. So you mean to tell me this is like, um, was it spaceman Bill Lee threw a perfect game for the Boston Red Sox on acid. You're telling me that you went out lit and hosted the Academy Awards. Yes, sir. On my mother's grave. That is the truth. I, I bet it's more common than you think, though. Maybe it is. As I'm, I'm trying to go through the people who've hosted. I'm like, mm, yeah, they they check that box. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ooh, yeah, they could definitely have been lit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm not. It's also I'm not a I'm not a professional stand up who does this all the time. Right. So you know, if if you're Chris Rock and you're out there and you're doing it 24 seven, you know, you're gonna have those uh those those mental tools at your disposal when you need them. When when you're, you know, we only do it sporadically. Uh, alcohol opens those doors uh, uh, when when you need them. Do you have a memory of it? I do remember hosting the Oscar. Wouldn't that be something? I do. I it was it was it was a blast, start to finish. I was I, I would have gone back and done it the next day. They they called me when I was in Santa Fe shooting the Western um, to come back and shoot the following year. It was the same producers come back and do the show again. And I I I debated it. I talked to some friends and I realized the only reason that I would be saying yes would be to um, just kind of <laughs> thumb my nose at the detractors. And I'm like, you know what? That's not a good enough reason to put in all this work. Like, you don't you don't do a show out of out of out of spite. So you don't. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So I I, I was a little sad because I, I loved working with those guys. But I I um 
I, I just, it's a lot of work. People don't realize the amount of work it is. And they also don't realize you don't get paid particularly. No, it's fine. But, but I mean, I'm just saying only because it is a lot of work. Yeah. But it's, it's fun. I, I, I mean, I remember like the, the, the audience was great. Like the, the, the room was fantastic. And I've done like, I've done some stand up. I haven't done a lot, but I, when I was younger, I did enough of it to kind of know when the room's with you and when they're not. And this, this room was just a gift. I mean, they were, they were just fantastic. Well, I, I don't think that happens all the time. You know what? Oh, actually, no, it is. Cause at the beginning, everybody's a winner. So everybody in that room is about to win an Academy Award. Every fucking person is going to win an award and they could not be happier. Try doing that same monologue an hour later, pal. Suddenly Bradley Cooper ain't laughing so much. No, no. He's, no. Um, I, 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 I kid Bradley. I love him. I love him. He's the best. The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season with Quince. Now you can get high-quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings directly onto you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say. I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash Rob for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Rob to get free shipping and 360 day returns. Quince.com slash Rob. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to Literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rob Lowe today to get 10% off your first month that's betterhelp.com slash Rob Lowe. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here, there. But when I, when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it, it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. 
The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. Sirius XM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6. To learn more, that is kia.com slash EV6. Kia, movement that inspires. Who is the worst sport? in your family guy trashing of absolutely everybody in Hollywood. For every Rob Lowe and Tom Cruise, there was a... I guess Adrian Brody? Adrian Brody. <laughs> there was a gag, admittedly a very a very mean gag, where um, uh, I guess it was in our Agatha Christie episode, and they find the killer, uh, who turns out to be Tom Tucker, the newsman. And he says, he punches the cop who catches him, which is Joe Swanson. And he says, just for that, when the movie of this uh, story comes out, I'm going to make sure Adrian Brody plays you. And then Tom Tucker goes, oh, I guess that means you don't want anyone to see it. And it was, it was admittedly a, a very, however, <laughs> however, I was, I, I am, I had just seen the movie Splice. I ran into a party and I'd just seen the movie Splice and I thought it was great. And I thought he was great. I think he's a terrific actor. That's the irony. Because I actually, I actually am, am a fan. And I said, hey, you know, sorry about this. Uh, sorry about that gag we did. I hope there's no hard feelings. And, and uh, it, 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 was, it, was visu- it was very clear that, that there were maybe some hard feelings. It was, it was frosty. He was frosty. A little, little bit frosty. But but. Um, but that's but that's a that's a that's a gentle you know I can't think of anything worse than that and again it's it's uh it's uh, I felt a little badly because I, I I'm you know I, I I am a fan of his work so it's just makes me laugh the the, the people that don't that that have a thin skin about that stuff I, mean, I would still work with Adrian Brody any day of the week I think he's fabulous he's fan he's great he's great as uh, Pat Riley in this Lakers um, yeah yeah no, series good, good talented guy um. Tell me, I, I, this sounds, this is like the worst interviewer question. It's when they clearly haven't done their homework, they'll say this. Tell me about the new album. <laughs> but that said, tell me about the new album. Uh, is it, is it out? I guess I, it's, I, I, I keep being told that it's, it's going to come out and it's, it's, uh, who's controlling that? You'd think, oh, there's some kind of weird thing with, with this kind of stuff where it's like there's specific dates that are like, if it were up to me, it'd be like, great, we're done. Get it out there. So is it, wait, this is fascinating. So you, t- you, t- is it like, is there a George Martin-esque producer in your life? Like, I don't think we've quite got it yet. A fiscal quarterly marketing review papers, whatever the hell it is. Those people. Yeah, yeah. The, They're the, preventing the, your art from being. It's, it's, and it's something to do with vinyl. Like apparently it takes, it takes about two and a half years to press one record in vinyl. What? Um, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did they get out over their skis on it? Anyway, the point being, uh, yes, the album is coming out, um, uh, I, I believe, soon. I guess it's May 20th now. So fingers crossed that that actually happens. Is it American Standards? What is it? You're not scatting. We've, we know that. 
Well, not scatting. No, no, we recorded this at uh, at Abbey Road. In no London. way. Um, you know who recorded at Abbey Road? I know you don't. You're not really f- familiar with them. Beatles might have recorded. Yes, they did there. But uh, it's it, the place is interesting because it's very. It looks like nothing has been changed. I, I I'm told it's superstitious that that the carpeting, the walls. There's a lot of stuff that just looks like if you were living in that house, you'd say it's time to repaint these walls. It's time to change this carpet. But there's a kind of a feeling that everything somehow contributes to the sound, the exact sound of of those rooms, and they're just they're just very uneasy about fucking with it. Um, but yeah, we recorded with I, I think it was about a 50, 50 piece orchestra arrangements by Andrew Cotty, produced by Joel McNeely, my longtime friend and composer. It's it's uh, up tempo swing. It's it's uh, kind of speaks for itself. There's one original on there, but they're they're all yeah, they're all old standard most most of them are standards that maybe are less familiar that will hopefully be new to to people who are not uh deep divers um you've recorded i'm, I'm assuming in the Capitol records building where sinatra did a lot of stuff right yeah we recorded there too and what's like when you go into those rooms do you do you other than the vibe do you go oh yeah no that's a very specific sound i get it yeah i you know where i notice that more now just because i do a lot more of it is scoring sessions um for a show like the orville for example we use anywhere from 85 to a 90 piece orchestra every episode and you start to get a sense of like okay the this sound stage sounds like this and this sound stage sounds like that so i've i'm at the point where there are certain stages that are um really you know newman stage at fox has a great sound sony to my ear the sony stage this is going to be so dull to everyone listening but no no it's fascinating the sony stage to me is is the one that if i'm you know scoring a film that's kind of ideally where i want to be it has it has the um what what about it are you hearing there that you're not hearing somewhere else it's like just enough wetness Mm. not just enough natural reverb um that it sounds uh, you know, because too much reverb obviously sounds like a you know a 1967 recording where like everyone is singing in the middle of the Grand Canyon. And then there's t- not enough of it, which is Springsteen yeah. has a great quote. He goes, he goes, those all those all those pop songs done in the 70s they make my skin crawl because <laughs> they're so dry. Because they're so dry. Yeah, it's a, like you can hear like you can literally hear a sonic blanket i didn't realize that uh, that was a sonic uh that was a that was an audio trait of 70s recording dude oh my god you really really hear it on the drums when the drums sound like people are banging on pillows you know what's really is in the partridge family albums because that was what i was listening to when i was a kid go back and listen to you know point me in the direction of albuquerque you're asking me to go back and listen to the partridge family i am how did you not listen as a young man actor wanting to come into this were you, were you not a david cat he was singing dancing handsome just like you i had a weird like thing when i was a kid when those reruns would come on like the brady bunch was like i'm there i'm in day or night if yeah. it's on i'm watching and then like the partridge family would come on and i'd be like oh this is a drag it'd be like it'd be like when mash came on be like oh, okay i'm doing something else i'm with you on the mash thing i don't know what the difference was like i was there for the brady bunch and the partridge family just put me to sleep God, really? The, those yeah. fluted microphones they sang into, and the no, I, I listen. I, I haven't seen it in adulthood. I, I I may go, you know, if I go back and watch it, I may find that I love it 
Hal Blaine, all those guys, like, you know, the Wrecking Crew, all playing on those. I mean, I, th- I think I think you need to revisit that. <laughs> Just said like a doctor prescribing more exercise. I really think you need to get out there and do some do some Cassidy's, everyone. Five Cassidy's, three Shirley Joneses, and, and then make sure you finish with Bonaducci's. <laughs> Seven Danny Bonaducci's. Um, this is great. We got to um, we got to figure out when we can see each other. Are you still living in LA? I am. I haven't I haven't left. I've been working here since before the pandemic. I, I think I've been on one trip. Jesus. Uh, are you ever on the Fox lot? Or you're done. You've wrapped. Orville's wrapped, right? Yeah. Well, Post is there, so I'm I'm there. Uh, I'm there all the time, actually. All right, Seth. I love you, man. This was so fun. All right, Rob. Anytime. All right, brother. I right, take it easy. Oh, Seth McFarlane. Oh, we really got out of our skis on that one. I felt really out over my skis on that, particularly talking about Lidsville with Seth MacFarlane. So much to unpack. There's a lot of stuff. By the way, if you if any of those references are unfamiliar to you, I implore you to look them up. Maybe the guy Williams lost in space. Screen test. The Lidsville theme where they say Liddy, Liddy, Liddyville. Not to be confused with Nitty Grittyville. Anyway. This is what happens when I get around my buddy, Seth McFarlane. Um, crazy stuff that is probably interesting only to he and I. But you never know. Hopefully you liked it. I hope you did. I see the light is flashing on the answering machine here in the studio. That is the lowdown line. Hello. You've reached literally in our lowdown line where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 520 Four five five one. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hey Rob, this is Kristen calling from Vail, Colorado. Know you're a big skier. Come out and ski with us next season. Hey, Tommy Boy is my favorite comedy of all time. I literally watch it every time it's on television, and that was the case last night. Um, of course, you're hilarious in that, and. I was Googling some information about the movie as I was watching it, and on Wikipedia, they actually note that you are uncredited in that movie. I'd never seen that before, and I just don't know what that means. Could you explain that situation a little bit and what that means for all of us? Thanks. Well, thanks for calling, and I will take you up on that offer. I love skiing at Vail. Side note, I did a movie called Youngblood, the bad uh, coach who teaches me how to fight. Uh, in Youngblood, a man named Eric Nestorinko, leading penalty minutes of the Chicago Blackhawks, notoriously mean as a snake on the ice, um, was for many years a ski instructor at Vail and may still be. Um, so I would come to Vail and ski with Mr. Eric Nestorinko. Um, yes, me being uncredited in Tommy Boy. First of all, I'm wearing a Chris Farley t-shirt today as, as we're recording this. Kismet. It's the universe talking. So here's what happened. Tommy Boy was originally Lorne Michaels' idea. We were playing tennis, and Lorne says, I have an idea for a movie. You and Farley would be brothers. It's a funny idea. Six months goes by. Nobody says anything. I figure it just was a passing thing. Then all of a sudden, the Turners who wrote um, Wayne's World, along with Mike Myers, deliver a script, and it's 
slightly different, as you know, but still, you know, it's a brother thing with me and Farley, although we're not really brothers, whatever. And so they go to make my deal. And I think Chris and David had never done a movie, I think, at that point, David Spade and Chris Farley. I'd obviously done a bunch of movies and they wanted to bill me third. I didn't feel like that was fair, but I also knew that they were effectively the stars of the movie. So we couldn't really agree on the billing. So I just said, you know what? Just don't bill me. I don't, I don't need any billing in this. So that's why I have no billing. And it just goes to show you that billing doesn't mean anything because everybody remembers I'm in it and it's all good in the hood. Um, yeah, a good catch, by the way. And not a lot of people notice that. Thanks for calling. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out Parks and Recollection, my other podcast with Alan Yang, where we watch every Parks and Rec episode and tell you what was really going on and um, five-star reviews. You can be your own best critic. And I will see you next week on Literally. You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced and engineered by me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Our researcher is Alyssa Grawl. Our talent bookers are Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. And music is by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Literally with Rob Lowe. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. But how do you feel? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? Get to GNC. We'll help with solutions to address those side effects and keep you going on your journey. GNC, 